Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 73. Off to check on Carissa finally. How does she look to his almost absolutely undiscerning eyes? Healthy, cheerful, she's sitting with the other girls, which she doesn't usually do, and having her unseen servant fetch grapes one at a time. Morning, Keltham. Greet the day, Carissa. Don't rush this at all, but any time you do happen to be very sure it's okay, I have additional questions about your own new superpowers. I am fit for duty, but will be so bold as to suggest you get yourself a plate of food first. He shall obtain the food plate. He shall then sit down next to the source of all answers. Did we ever explain to you how wizard leveling past third circle works at all? Fighting monsters was implied. Sex was not. It's not about fighting monsters. It's about using magic while you're physically and mentally at the edge of your abilities. In a state where some people, not all people, some people stall out, are able to take in a little more of the magic they're using. Yes, we've tried drugs that make the heart race. They don't do it. It doesn't matter if the danger is real, but it matters if you think it is. I don't think it'd be a good idea to tell you everything that happened yesterday, but, uh, at one point I found myself restrained and helpless in a very fancy enchanting workshop where I had been left to contemplate what I had coming— and casting spells did not work to get me out of this at all. But six feet away, on the wall, there was a shelf of spell silver. And I thought to myself, you know, I can't actually think of a principled reason you can't bridge that with a scaffold and use spell silver that far away, except for how it'd be ridiculously hard and might mess up the spell, silver and there's usually literally no reason. So I did, and started transforming my armillary amulet she taps it, into a weapon I could use to break out. Except it would have taken way too long. The weapon I wanted is a three-day enchanting project, but I thought of some ways to do it faster, and Abrogale let me at this for a while because it was funny, and then went back to what she'd been meaning to do with me. And I don't specifically know that I leveled from that, but it was representative. She's not keeping her voice down. It's a good story. Six feet away? Ione says, not bothering to keep her voice down. She's not an Asmodean, and she is not too scared to openly ask questions. Albeit, in this case, the question was six feet away, which, now that she thinks on it, is not a very intelligent question. Abrogale thinks the entire rest of the class plus a pair of visible securities off in one corner. Want a demonstration? she says cheerfully to Ione and pulls a chunk of spell silver from her bag of holding to hand off to her unseen servant, who can hold it at the appropriate distance. Keltham, you're not going to appreciate this properly, but you should have detect magic up for it, all the same. He is definitely missing some context, but detect magic is a thing he can do. Ione and Pilar, without quite thinking about the implications of what they're doing, perform detect magic, too. Carissa concentrates and she flings magic out from her fingertips like it's silk scarves and she's one of those silk scarf dancers, and there's nothing for it to catch on at the other end, but she's building another layer under it to keep it up, and another layer under that, moving the scaffold's center of gravity out and out and out, with nothing but her will and her quick-moving fingertips supporting it. 
It takes a long time. Building a scaffold takes 10 minutes normally. It's hard to look away from, though. It's easier the second time, and in the first delightful flush of competence, she tells the unseen servant to move back another foot, and her scaffold bridge shivers and twitches and stretches and bends and holds. Touching the spell silver, seven feet away, and she grits her teeth and starts coaxing the power that spell silver holds to move towards her. Right here. See? And she doesn't actually want to ruin her armillary amulet or waste her spell silver, so she stops, once she's moved the first tiny mote of magic to her throat where it belongs. It's pretty. But Keltham is lacking some context on exactly how impressive this is, and Dathilani do get bored quickly, which means that over the course of minutes he's gotten around to also trying to analyze all the other active magic visible in this room, and noticing how everybody is watching this amazing feat, but only he, Pilar, and Ione have any magically visible signs of detect magic being up, or need to recast it at any point. Context you're missing, Ione says, when the demonstration is over. That's absolutely ridiculous fucking bullshit. Most Sixth Circle wizards couldn't do that. How? She is guessing that Sevar does not, in fact, want her to hide her reaction here. Well, you know, I was very motivated. But yes, Abigail said she'd never even seen anyone try that, much less succeed at it. It's fun. It's kind of like tightrope walking with magic. I would no doubt be greatly impressed if I had anything like the skill or experience myself to appreciate how hard that was. I'll do my best to avoid predictable updates in my more abstract beliefs about you. But I suspect there's a visceral appreciation of this difficult-seeming, impressive trick that I won't get for a while. He doesn't know why they wouldn't tell him, if what he now suspects is true. But he's curious enough about that very question to keep quiet and see how it plays out. So what did you do to get the queen's attention? Says Meritzel flatly. Uh-uh. She specifically said to me she didn't have time to do this for all Project Lawful, though our own high priestess here might be worth a try. She hopes to Nethys that Meritzel is only pretending to think that's a good idea for Alter Cheliac's reasons. Ione doesn't need dangerously suicidal people around her books. I am missing so much context right now, I can tell. Really? Do you think... Shit, isn't that high priestess supposed to be talking to them all later? I can try to explain, but I don't actually know what your question would be. Meritzel was asking if there's a way to get in on my incredibly fascinating sex life. Regrettably, the Queen of Cheliax does not have time to provide such a hands-on education to all of us. However, the high priestess Subarox, who is on site to provide spiritual guidance to the Project Lawful Girls has some of the same expertise, which is why she was able to advise me on recovery, so if anyone wants to explore the space of highly motivated magic practice, they can ask her. Except me, of course. I'm yours. Maybe once I know Jacint better, if I turn out to feel that way. But taking that slowly. I think I was sort of pushing things, the rate I rushed through everything with Abigail, and in actual fact was leaning almost entirely on Abigail being hot, and seeming much more sensible than I was led to fear, rather than really having very much sense of her as a person. She doesn't know any of these people. She's just eating here because it's near her library. There's no hurry. If you gave me to the High Priestess today, she would just give me a book to read anyway. Or, you know, you could learn how to make girls shatter in your hands and come out of it masters of new kinds of magic yourself. No hurry on that either. 
Can he learn that? Says Meritzel doubtfully. Doubt subtype. Flirtatious. Most people couldn't be the queen of Cheliacs even if you put a crown on their head and sent an Arrhenius to advise them. Keltham isn't most people, says Yaisa. Are we uh, doing a lesson today, says Peranza. I was thinking law of probability, maybe also law of utility, depending on whether I can teach them apart or only together. And who knows, maybe I'll give learning that a shot at some point. Yes, shatter sounds bad, but it does not look bad if Carissa being so visibly happy is the outcome of whatever it actually means. How many hours of practice are we talking about? Assuming I have proper reference books and expert guidance. Three? Seven? Blink, blink, blink. I think it's like a thousand years in hell, says Meritzel. But some people are fast learners. To be clear, that is roughly what I was figuring. Also, checking model, afterlife people learn a lot slower than people in Galarian. It's just that they have all the time. I don't think they learn a lot slower, Meritzel says. I think you start out disoriented, and it can take a while to get back to what you were capable of as a human. But in principle, eventually, you're Contessa Loraletha, and I expect she'd learn, say, a new language faster than I would. Now that I think about it, there was something crystalline about Loraletha. I'm not sure how to put it into words. I'm not sure I'd ask her to research a new field of study. She can be one kind of person flawlessly and at speed, but... Maybe there's other ways of thinking she can use that I didn't see. We were always meeting in formal settings. I'm not sure Lurilatha comes across as something truly greater than any Doth Ilani who'd defeat any of us in every contest of skill. Just someone who spent a thousand years practicing a collection of things and is now unmatchable in those places. Taldane does not have any of the words or concepts I want to use right now. But maybe that's the difference between what she is and a god. Is it known what Lurilatha turns into in another 10,000 years? Not by me. Gorthoclek, who you met, is a more powerful and intelligent kind of devil, but I don't know if he's specifically a kind of devil downstream of Contessa Lurilatha's kind. Didn't see much of him, or how he thought, yeah. He looks more alien, for sure. I suppose I've got time to figure it out. But I will want to figure it out before I decide whether the afterlife here is really someplace I want to spend my own after-death, or if I'm supposed to figure out how to make the Starstone work reliably, or take some third option. What third option? Become Baba Yaga and wander the multiverse in a house with legs, returning only occasionally to eat your children. Not the time. How about instead they learn about probability? Pilar messages her on the way out asking for clarification if everybody in Alter Cheliax is supposed to be calling their queen Abrogale. In Alter Cheliax, it's a thing you might call her if you know her personally, not something people who know her only as the queen would call her, though if they did, they would just get an etiquette lesson rather than being promptly executed like in real Cheliax. She danced with one of my guests at a party I threw. Does that count? This was approximately 24% of Pilar's total accumulated stress from the previous day. She what now? Keltham does not know about that party, so no. Even if Keltham knew about that party, it's not really the right kind of acquaintance. If Abrogale ever kisses Pilar gently while turning her to stone to deny her hell forever, then Pilar can call her Abrogale. Acknowledged. Pilar really wants to get debriefed about yesterday by the proper authority and is not above using blatant lures to accomplish this. 
If lessons are to restart, Broom will be there and trying to make sure nobody destroys the world. These weird people may be permitted to enter her library's study hall, but had better behave themselves while in it. If Asmodia came back with anything at all, besides superpowers, it was with some practice in setting aside distractions and focusing. She's ready. And though she doesn't understand the meaning of all this, she's feeling a lot more motivated to grasp whatever she can, now that there's any reason that anything matters. It's disorienting to think that this quiet part is the part that really matters, and that all the meetings with intelligence services and confrontations with paladins and the queen dancing in her ballroom are just a distraction. It feels strange to be back at this, as if it's a habit from another world, even though it's actually only been two days off, and normal schools give you two days off sometimes, like after exams before the start of the next term. She has her unseen servant take notes for her, because she's a fourth circle wizard. Maritzel sits in front. She was tipped off this morning that she needs to meet the high priestess because Keltham might want her, and she's going to make damn sure he does want her by being the smartest. PL timestamp, day five, morning. So now, hopefully, they're getting to the good part. Previous stuff was just sort of trying to show you what law is at all, like with validity, and some stuff that seemed like a good idea for Cheliax to know very early on for bargaining purposes, like heredity and bargaining. The law of probability is starting to get into stuff you use all over the place, and if he'd been thinking ahead properly, Keltham would have made sure that everybody got tapped with an owl's wisdom at least once before they started getting lectures like these. Probably they can get away with doing that tomorrow. One more day's lecture shouldn't set up too much triggerable cumulative enlightenment. Keltham is saying this out loud right now, because he keeps forgetting to set that up. Anyways, does Cheliax already know anything about probability, the mathematics, and law of uncertainty? Anything he can build upon, or conversely, needs to refute and redo. They know the failure chances for certain kinds of magic that have somewhat reliable failure chances, and happen frequently enough you can record how often the failure happens, like augury or teleporting off a picture. And merchants know the failure chances for more complicated things than that, like the odds a ship you send to Kazmaron will make it back, which uses past voyages to Kazmaron, but also the state of the ship and the state of the seas and the season and the competence of the captain. If you're bad at guessing, then you'll lose all your money. Do they perchance have any known mathematics of probability, which involves more than one probability at a time, or two probabilities that relate to one another in some way? Maybe merchants have a clever way to do merchanting, but it doesn't come up in wizard education, if so. Keltham is fairly sure he saw this class, admittedly, this was a while ago, being able to solve problems like, if you randomly arrange four girls including me, what are the chances I'm second in line? He was not especially expecting them to be balked by, if you randomly arrange us two times, what's the chance I'm first in line both times? Well, says Marixel, the chance it's the same girl first in line both times is one in four, and that splits out into me, both times Ioni, both times Pella, both times Jack Me, both times, each of those taking a sliver of the same size, so it's one in sixteen. But that's not applying a known rule of probability taught in school. It's just kind of obvious. I suppose at least there's nothing to unlearn. Suppose that instead Keltham asks how often they are ever uncertain of anything in the course of their daily lives, not in a mathy way, just unsure about something. Most of the time? Especially since the project started, since it makes life very unpredictable. 
Well, for purposes of concrete examples, is there something anyone can name that they're unsure about right now, or that you were recently unsure about today? She's definitely very uncertain about that, but that is secret, so she can't talk about that. Hyakme is not sure if Pilar really went to Elysium. Can't say that. Maritzel's not sure if Keltham's going to ask her out. Can't say that. Yaisa heard that the reason they had the Grand High Priestess on site was that by policy, either she or Carissa must be in the room with Keltham at all times. And she's not sure if it's true, but she definitely cannot say that. Gregoria heard that some of the other girls had to train their impersonators this morning. Can't say that. I'm not sure whether Asmodeus anticipated Zon Kuthon trying to kill you, and whether he let it happen in order to have all the gods in consensus around sealing Zon Kuthon. Well, you can say that kind of thing if you're Carissa Sevar. Actually, now that you point it out, we already think that the gods on our team saw a dominant probability of that happening. Which demands the question of why, if it was already that predictable, all the other gods couldn't predict it too, and first strike Zon Kuthon, instead of waiting for him to attack. But that example seems vastly overcomplicated. Literally, the next thing I'd have to talk about, to walk through my reasoning about that question, is law of probability. That a Dathilani kid wouldn't get until three years after today's lair, about whether or not gods should ever disagree about predictions like that. Can you think of an example much more mundane, like not so much gods as scrambled eggs? I'm not sure if they'll serve duck at lunch. Meritzel says. Okay, now everybody think of, but don't say, a number to represent the chance there's duck at lunch. And nobody's allowed to go to the kitchen and tell them to do that or not do it. I hereby declare that the bad kind of cheating. Raise your hand when you've got your number, and once everybody has raised their hand, we'll go around saying the numbers. Keltham raises his hand immediately. There's been duck at two of the previous meals he's had, of which he thinks there were around twelve, but he's not going to count and he is so ignorant of Galarian that nothing else could possibly figure into his calculations. The students take longer, but not that much longer, and turn out mostly to have put down numbers between four and six. So my number was going to be one-sixth, but I'm guessing that in your terms that number should have been six, because the number you gave means, like, one out of how many chances. Am I interpreting it right? So a number of twelve is half as likely as a number of six? Mostly, they were imagining it was a scale where, like, one meant very likely and twelve meant very unlikely, except that many of them were imagining it as the exact opposite, where one meant very unlikely and twelve meant very likely. Sure, he can work with that. If anything, it might be more useful as a gentle introduction than if they'd invented the same system that Doth Elani kids never invent, because they just grow up with it. A one... Twelve scale has some properties, but not others. Should have seen this part coming and asked earlier, but anyone got a simple public randomness source, like for generating a zero or a one, both with equal probability? Could literally just be some physically symmetrical object that you can spin and have it fall on one side. I have coins. I don't know if they land on both sides with equal odds, but it's probably pretty close. Can I borrow one for the lecture? And is it okay if we call the borrowing term short enough that it rounds to 0% interest? It briefly occurs to him to wonder if owning Carissa would mean he transitively owns her stuff. But he quickly dismisses this thought as obviously insane. If you had that kind of relationship, 
it would be one where she broke oaths and went to Abaddon on request. Yes. What kind of relationship do they have? I have a gold coin. Keltham borrows the coin at zero percent interest. That's the kind of trusting relationship they have. Anyone who recognizes Abadar's symbol should really know better than to ask this. The gold coin looks like the other six hundred instances of this coin that he owns, with a picture of Abigail's face on one side, and on the other side, sworn by hell to be pure. At some point he needs to ask what hell is swearing Abigail to be pure about, but that's not important right now. On close examination, a coin does look sufficiently physically symmetrical, with enough lingering asymmetry for identification purposes to serve as a randomness source if spun. Okay, so this coin can land Abigail or text. Now, actually, something else first. First, I want you all to rescale your old lunch duck numbers to a 1-12 scale, where 1 is super unlikely and 12 is super likely, so we're all on the same page about what the scale meant. If you were picking a lunch duck number that meant something totally else, scale it instead. Raise your hands when you've done that. Then let's say our commonly scaled numbers once we've raised our hands. Oh, and don't update your estimate off what other people thought. This is just supposed to be your original estimate, but we're making sure all estimates are on the same scale. Three, four, four, six, four, six, 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 eight, seven, four, five. And his is three. Now again, without taking others' opinions into account, especially considering that people might be using different real meanings for their scales, so who knows if anybody really disagrees. Consider the chance that there will be duck for lunch, and when Keltham spins this coin, it will fall Abigail's face upward. In other words, both things have to happen, so if the coin lands text up, it doesn't matter if there's duck for lunch or not, the combined event didn't happen. Generate new numbers for this combined event, same one, 12 scale from very unlikely to very likely. Please stick to your original opinion and original scale, rather than guessing what others mean by their numbers and updating off those. Raise your hand when you've got it, then everybody says their numbers. 223243433422. And mine is two. You may recall that shortly before the gods went to war, to be clear, I don't think there was actually a direct connection as such. I talked a bit on the law of dividing gains from trade, and one of the constraints was that identical agents receive identical pay. You've now generated two numbers, one for the chance that we have duck at lunch, and one for the chance that we have duck at lunch, and that when I spin this coin it will land Abigail's face up. Raise your hand open if you think you could state an aspect of law connecting these two numbers. Raise your hand closed into a fist if you've given up on doing that. Most of the hands go up into the air open, after a bit of hesitation. He'll give a half minute to anyone who doesn't have their hand raised in either way, and then ask people with raised open hands to state whatever law they had in mind when they raised their hand. Our numbers should have gone down, because now it's two things that have to go right, not just one. They should have gone down by half, says Meritzel. Whether they go down by half depends on what the scale means. Mine went from three to two, because I'm taking the one of the scale to mean that something absolutely can't happen, and equal intervals to represent equal amounts of chance, so having the interval from one to three gets me the interval from one to two. But it's fine if somebody else is interpreting their scale in some totally different way. In fact, the aspect of law I'd propose to govern here is that when you have two events that both need to happen, the chance of that happening cannot go up. 
compared to the chance of just one event happening. Yona, for example, could have been tipped by the whatchamacallit of Nethus that this coin is definitely going to land Abigail's face up, in which case Ioni could just give the exact same number she did before for the duck lunch part. But even Ioni's number shouldn't go up. By the way, Iona, thanks for being you. Your mere presence here substantially expands the space of immediately relatable scenarios I can use for probability-theoretic examples. Thank you, I think. The students seem persuaded that the number cannot go up. Now, for the next demonstration. Actually, task to run simultaneously while that's in progress. Carissa, can your magic writing thingy copy what I write down on one paper scrap to other paper scraps without you knowing what was written? There's supposedly a rare spell for that, but Unseen Servant can't do it, unfortunately. Noted. Worth talking to acquisitions about that. Or an item, because this won't be the last time we run into this issue. For now, though, I first want to establish a common scale of probability before the next demonstration. Please think of the chance we have a beef dish at lunch. That'd be around 312, in his own guess and memory. On a scale where 1-5 means the same as the chance that you're first in line in a randomized line of five people, or 1-10 means the chance is around the same as first in line among ten people. If you're thinking something like, it's between one-third and one-quarter, you're allowed to say one over three and a half, or even say seven-twenty-fourths, but you don't need to go complicated if you don't have a very exact notion of beef lunch probability. Raise hands when you have your number. When all hands raised. Articulate guesses. Keltham isn't tracking this one closely. He just wants to check that they're now working to an understood common scale of probability. They do seem competent to use the scale, and to mostly assign beef lunches between a third and a half chance of occurring today. Encouraging. Like, not super encouraging or anything, but it could have gone wrong, and it didn't. Next... Keltham is going to distribute two propositions each to half the girls, to be assigned a probability on this kind of scale. He'd be making six copies of each proposition, for everyone to look at privately, if he had easy copying. Since he doesn't, he'll give each group a piece of paper to be passed around among themselves, and everybody writes down their own answer individually, on the same common scale they just used for beef lunches. Don't discuss it among yourselves, and especially don't show your question to the other group. Don't worry, it won't be a complicated proposition. It's something that happens around here about a third, as often as they have beef at a meal, going on his own memory. On this occasion, they will not really pseudorandomize by taking alternate girls from among desks. That is, if they were to be numbered in a seating chart, evens would go to one side of the room, odds to the other side, starting from Meritzel. Can they sort themselves out while he writes the two propositions? Here are Meritzel, Jacme, Pela, Peranza, Ione, and Tonia. And here are Carissa, Asmodia, Gregoria, Pilar, Yaisa, and Paxti. Cool. Keltham is writing on two scraps of paper while that occurs. Meritzel et al. get. Chance over next one year that another god attacks Keltham, starting another god war. Carissa et al. get. Chance over next one year that another god war starts. They can take a minute to think, not much longer, please. When they're done, they can put their slips into two heaps. Don't look at each other's propositions yet. Keltham will announce both groups' probability sets first. This is very stressful. Security relays to Carissa that several girls are thinking whether to lie, and if so, what lie they're supposed to give. 
This seems like precisely the kind of situation where the lies would be discovered because they would have the wrong underlying math somehow. Tell them not to. Keltham could of course ask questions like these they'd all have no choice but to lie about, but hopefully first they can learn a bit more of the law. She puts down one three. The rest of her group puts it lower. One, eight, one, four, one, four, one, ten, one, twenty. The other group has four, five, one, four, one, two, one, three, one, two, one, eight. The four-fifths is Meritzel, reasoning that Keltham has been here three days and started one god war, so what are the odds they'll make it through the entire next year without a second one? Keltham announces these results. Whatever group evens, Carissa, was asked about, it was clearly something pretty unlikely, while whatever group odds Meritzel was asked about, it was clearly much more likely. Okay, compare your propositions now. So, all y'all consider yourselves to be lawful evil, huh? Wow, that's... It's a test you can't lie on, is what it is. Though, also, even if you are telling the truth, if you're bad at truth, you'll get it wrong. Can we argue with the other group about who is right? Sounds like fun. Five minutes. Keltham started one god war in his first three days of being here, so I don't see how we get through an entire year without another one, says Meritzel. Well, that was with Zon Kuthon, and there's not another god who almost wants to destroy the world— Except Rovagug, and someone would have to let him out. Well, maybe someone will do that, says Meritzel, and smugly, though I wouldn't give four and five specifically for that. A god wouldn't have to almost want to destroy the world, says Pella. We're changing it enough they could have been really in favor before and still turn out against now. Like, Ergothoa, if Keltham cures all diseases. Wouldn't she have figured that out and fought with Zon Kuthon? Do we know she didn't? Well, if she did, then that's not another god war in the future. Okay, actually, you know what? On second thought, everybody shut up, and my apologies for not thinking ahead faster about what might be a dangerous line of thought. I suspect that properly this conversation happens between myself and the Grand High Priestess in a heavily screened room. Nobody repeat the name of that god you just mentioned until cleared to do so. He wants to tell them not to think it, but has a dreadful suspicion that this would be a counterproductive instruction for non-Dathilani. Solemn nods and immediate silence. Going right back to probability, one thing I'd be enthusiastic to test is whether devils make the same error. If we try this on twelve of whatever Gorthoclek is, do they make the error? Twelve Elrilathas? Twelve of whatever devil said hi to Asmodia when she showed up? Twelve people who've been in hell ten years, fifty years. A hundred years? I bet not for full devils. I'm less sure about new petitioners, but we could actually ask Hell to check for us. Do you know how expensive that is to ask? Also, doing this with 144 subjects is more reliable than 12 subjects, if it's not much more expensive to run a larger test on the other side. No idea how expensive, but we could ask the High Priestess. I think most of the expense would be communicating the instructions— so larger's probably fine if we can do it at all. If we can batch questions more cheaply, then I have additional questions. Such as, for example, whether devils already knew about where the balance comes from between men and women, and weren't allowed to say. Or we could find that the younger devils don't know it until we tell them, but the older devils already know it, which would imply that information is stratified within hell, the way that it's stratified between gods and Golarion. 
If Lurilatha and Gorthoklek are past this fallacy, they presumably watch people committing it every three minutes, but are not allowed to say out loud what all the humans are doing wrong. Whatever rules prevent them from showing you what I just showed you, those rules are a key part of the foundations of order for Galarian. I want to know what those rules are. I want to check if I can maybe snap them over my knee in five minutes if I come at them from the right angle. Like, say, maybe there are things that, say, Gorthoklek isn't allowed to tell younger devils, but Gothoklek is allowed to point out those pieces of knowledge to me because I already know, and then I can tell one younger devil that, and they can tell others. Of course, before doing that, it might be good to know why those rules existed in the first place. I don't know the deep secrets of hell, but my prediction would be that Contessa Lorelatha gets it right the way my father might get it right, because he does a lot of guessing which ships are going to be profitable, and he doesn't know a rule he could tell me about, but he's pretty good at what he does. And Contessa Lorelatha would be better, but still like that. Maybe not, though. Broom is, without showing any outward sign, trying to pray to determine whether his goddess wants him to kill Keltham yet. As always, there's no response leaving matters up to his own best judgment. Keltham has no particular idea that he might be close to death. Well, that result would be interesting from a completely different angle, because if Asmodeus does not explicitly know that thing I just showed you, I will be really surprised, which would mean there are things I know that Asmodeus can't tell Lirilatha. I'm actually just going to check that the next time I meet her. Shouldn't be long at this rate. Girls sit there nervously. Keltham is aware that some people might consider the current topic of conversation to be portentous. This is deliberate. He has an info-hazardous chain of thought he is trying to distract them from, and himself too, for that matter. But let's return to the experiment we just ran. One notable thing about it is that, just based on the experimental results themselves, we can't point to any one of you and say, this person must have done something insane. We can't point to Paranza. Yesterday, Keltham gave up and did actual memory exercises to try and remember people apart from their name tags. And say, her estimate was unreasonably high, her estimate was unreasonably low. We can tell that the two groups were collectively insane, but not that any particular person in them was insane. Let's go back to considering the estimates for the chance of duck at lunch. Even after we get to see lunch today, can we say anything about who was sane and who was crazy? based on the 12-point scale? I mean, we can keep track and see if we notice a pattern over time, about who is good at guessing. What kind of pattern would look like being good at guessing? Being right more often? Well, on a scale of 1, 12, suppose you say 4, and then there's duck for lunch. You say 5 the next day, and there's no duck for lunch that day. You say 4 the day after, and there's no duck for lunch. How are you doing? Are you being right more often? You can make some kind of scoring system where you don't really get any points for saying five in every day and get points for higher numbers when there's duck and lower numbers when there isn't duck. And then she can do performance reviews. And there's more rules like you can't have your number go up when you're predicting more things at once. And when you have four rules like that, there's only one possible scoring system, which is the law of scoring. Asmodia says out loud, a strange electric excitement running through her. Good, Asmodia. That's not literally exactly correct, but you've seen the pattern. That's sufficiently far ahead of where I was going, that the next time you have a prediction that far ahead, I want you to say prediction, and then write it down instead of... or actually just say prediction, and then message me because we're all casters here. 
Asmodia gets some envious glances. If they want their own envious glances, they can go be that good. Now, if we could all just pretend to forget that Asmodia spoiled the book for us by telling everyone the ending while I was just getting started. We've just heard a new rule proposed by Carissa, that you should get more points for giving higher numbers on duck when there's duck, and more points for putting lower numbers on duck when there's no duck. Well, I agree. That's pretty reasonable. Any other rules come to mind? If a prediction breaks down into predictions for two parts, you shouldn't get more points for the combined predictions than from getting each of the parts right separately? If... Hmm. If two people both say duck, but one is more sure than the other, and it's duck, that one should get more points. And if two people say no duck, and it's duck, but one was more wrong, that one should lose more points. And they should get the same points for the same prediction. You shouldn't be able to be better off for points by not guessing at all, though. You should get the most possible points if you are Nethice, and always give the right answer with perfect confidence, and the least possible points if you are Zonnethais, and always give the wrong answer with perfect confidence. Nethys still thinks in probabilities. They're just more extreme ones, Takaral. Ione does not appear to notice that she has said anything unusual. Right. Well, those are all interesting rules, but the idea that two different people who give the same numbers should get the same points seems to imply that everybody is, in some sense, using the same scale, in which case, that scale seems like it should maybe mean something, the same way that, inside a language, the same sounds mostly mean pretty similar things to different people. But let's back up. We can imagine that we've got this game, which awards more points to people who put higher numbers on things that did happen, and lower numbers on things that don't happen. You can't be better off by not guessing. We don't have the law for it, or any such thing. We just built a game that encourages numbers to go up or down, in a way that matches what does and doesn't happen. We play that game for a while. Turns out somebody is really good at it. Say Yaisa has the best score by far. What? Human capital. Person with a valuable skill. Do we now have in the form of hypothetical Yaisa? Maybe hypothetical Yaisa is just good at playing a strange game, but the skills in that game aren't useful for anything else. I mean, says Yaisa, I can branch out to predicting merchant ships and make a lot of money if I've got a gift for something real. Who says the numbers you learn to assign are the ones that merchants need to decide whether to send out a ship? You're slapping 3S on this and 9S on that, and the merchant is like, uh, but do I send this ship or not? And you're like, well, I don't know what the numbers mean. I just learned what kind of number assigning gets me a high score. Well, if Yaisa can't explain herself at all, we can check how often she's right when she says 9, and then the merchant can do the translation from 9S to profits himself. These how often she's right numbers sound quite interesting. Maybe we should actually just be using them directly instead of the 12-point scale. I mean, if we've got to translate the original scale into how often she's right numbers, maybe we can skip the extra step and have the game just be about those. Though first, right oftenness numbers would have to be a thing. Can you say more? Well, it's kind of what we did with the gods prediction, right? One-third or one-quarter, except wars with gods don't happen often enough you can figure out who is good at it. But if someone predicts whether a ship will come back, and if they say... It'll come back a quarter of the time, and if they say that of four ships, one comes back, 
then that's very valuable. Pretty much as good as soothsayers used to be anyway. Even if something didn't happen very often, let's say a Nadal invasion instead of that other thing, I might go to the person who had a really good record about ships. I mean, it might not be optimal, but at the very least they'd have a bunch of experience with how to hone and slice anything down to the difference between one-third and one-fourth. And they'd answer in numbers that meant that, instead of saying three or nine on a twelve-point scale, and then you've got to pause and ask them for a hundred predictions like that so you can even figure out what a three or a nine mean. Well, anyways, let's say that in this game you give a number from zero to one hundred, and those numbers are supposed to directly represent the chances out of one hundred. If something happens one time in four, you say 25, because something that happens one time in four will also happen 25 times out of 100. How do you score those numbers from zero to 100? When it happens, you give them points or deduct points in proportion to how likely they said it was. So, if they said 25 and it happened, deduct 25 points. And if they said 25 and it didn't, add 25 points. And if they said 24 and it didn't, add 24 points. Nah, 26, because you should get more points for a more correct prediction. So apparently his brain just registered a reluctance to shoot down his girlfriend too cruelly. And wow, does that impulse need to get poisoned and handed off to the surreptitious head removers? Not just because entire integrity of the teaching process, but also because Keltham has ever met Carissa Savar, and if she could read his mind about that, she would be cometary impact levels of sad and possibly angry. Interesting, interesting. Well, Carissa, want to play a few rounds with me of Predict If the Coin Lands Abigail twice in a row? It's a pretty simple game. On each round, we write down our numbers. Asmodia spins the coin twice, and if it's Abigail both times, that's a yes event, and otherwise a no event, which we also mark down. After 12 rounds, we reveal our numbers, score ourselves using your rule, and whoever has the highest score wins. Anyone else in class is also welcome to play along. Sure. She's pretty sure that all guesses are equally good if you know nothing, which seems right, but maybe he's making a deeper point. Right then. Here is the coin, Asmodia. This isn't even a loan. You're just holding my coin. Let's start. Keltham writes down some numbers, not particularly showing them to anyone per se, just yet. Ione writes down some numbers. They're all 25S. Pilar is actually going to try to guess those coin spins because, like, also Oracle... 25 or 75, depending on which she expects to happen next. She's not doing too well so far, but maybe she'll get the hang of it. 25, 25, 25, 25. Pilar's curse says no. He didn't say not to cheat. What manner of defective, chaotic, good, oracular curse is this? Time for everybody to add up their scores. Double Abigail came up twice in the 12 rounds. So, round one plus 25 points, round two, plus 25 points, round three, which is the first double queen, minus 25 points, it's obviously going to work out to plus 200 points at the end, and also she's an idiot and is embarrassed to reveal what she wrote, maybe nobody will ask her. She guessed neither of the two double queens, and also got minus 25 points the three times she falsely foretold them, so 5 asterisk 25 plus 7 asterisk plus 25 equal sign plus 50 points. She probably just needs practice. On the last round, Carissa had an idea and wrote a zero. 50 points if she's right, and minus 50 if she's wrong, 
but she's right more often than not, which is 225 on the whole, because the last one isn't an Abrogale. So everybody just wrote down all zero S, right? Keltham did, yes. Plus 50 asterisk 10, plus minus 50 asterisk 2, equal sign plus 400 points. Keltham is very good at this game. Everyone should clearly use his numbers, which say that a coin comes up Abrogale twice in two spins, roughly zero out of 100 times. It took Meritzel two rounds to catch on, plus 350. Okay, I don't know how to fix that. Bigger penalties for being wrong? But then you lose, it being better to participate than not? Actually, we're not going to end up with that particular property necessarily. When you're just guessing things, trying to know things, it's not like something comes in and takes your real-life gold pieces when you do the thing that loses you game points. Like the game can just say, every time you try to guess, that means you might turn out to be wrong and lose points. But that's fine, because just guessing and just being wrong doesn't hurt your bank storage unless you actually made a bet. Who, besides Asmodia, would like to now try stating a fragment of law that scoring rules ought to obey? It ought to be a better idea to give your true guess says Meritzel. Can you state that more precisely? Say it actually has a one in four chance of happening. Guessing one in four ought to score more points than guessing anything else. So if double Abergale has a one in four chance of happening, then whoever guesses 25 on that round should be rewarded the most, regardless of whether double Abergale actually happened or not. Not on that round, but in the long run. So if we're just playing one round of something, there's no way it could have any kind of lawful scoring rule. I think it'd be something like escalating gains from being right when you pick an extreme number and from being wrong when you pick an extreme number. So it's only worth being that extreme if you're sure. And there's going to be some rule this implies, but I don't know it. That balances it exactly right. When you pick 99, the penalty for being wrong has to cancel out 99 of being right. So it's only worth doing it if that's exactly how sure you are. So considering all the numbers P we could guess between 0 and 100, if the truth is that something happens F out of 100 times and doesn't happen 100 minus F out of 100 times, we want... This room's wall does now function as a whiteboard for people who, like Keltham, can cast... Prestidigitation, argmax. P of F yes, P plus 100. F no P equal sign F which is to say that it seems like a lawful scoring rule must surely have this property. For every F between 0 and 100, the answer P that maximizes the sum of F, of the yes, value you get from P, plus 100 minus F, of the no value you get from P, is F. In other words, if something happens 25 out of 100 times, then out of every possible answer, between Chaka 0 and 100 Akira 25 and should do best when it comes to adding 25 yes, values of the answer to 75, no values of the answer. Putting somebody into a situation like this is what makes their answer mean. How often do you actually think this happens? There's a lot of ways to put people in weird situations where their answer could mean something else instead, because the most rewarding answer they could give isn't the one that matches reality. Civilization tries to avoid weird situations like that, so that our words, and more importantly, numbers, go on meaning things. Carissa's not back to full health yet. She can feel it, even aside from the waking up, panicked. But it's like she can feel the thing she's reaching for, 
just barely out of her reach. The most rewarding answer is the one that matches reality. That simple and hell might genuinely not have stumbled on it. No, surely they have at the highest reaches. Everyone in this classroom except for her is going to end up executed. And then she'll also get executed, but she's not going to hell. Go, Master Dothilani thought. Right. Savar had better actually have the pull to avoid them all getting tortured for heresy, which, to be fair, it kind of seems she might. So on the one hand, she is pretty sure this is not how Asmodianism works. And, on the other hand, it seems pretty persuasive that this is how lawfulness works. And, on the original hand, she is very sure that Asmodeus is lawful. Is she allowed to just think that she'll ask Aspexia Rugaton about this later, or is that cheating? Pilar's curse knows the answer to this one, actually. Is it time for Pilar to hear? Pilar is absolutely not taking theological advice on this subject from Caden Kaelian, especially before Pilar knows the actually correct answer the Grand High Priestess will give. No problem! Chaotic good tries not to force answers on people that they don't want. It's how Asmodianism can work for someone if they turn down Elysium because they actually wanted to go to hell. Meritzel isn't sure there's a contradiction here. There might be, but you're not supposed to reason about everything the same way. Obviously, you're not supposed to use numbers reasoning to consider matters in which the church has instructed you. It's for matters where you can't otherwise figure out what you're supposed to believe. At least she hopes that's it. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.